imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women? Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lead Hership Global Podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Denise Cooper to our program, and I can't wait to tell you all about Denise. You know, today we're going to be talking about gender equality, and I think that there's never been a more urgent issue for us to tackle as women and as leaders. So I can't wait to dive into the conversation with Denise today. You know, in a year marked by crisis and uncertainty, corporate America really is at a crossroads. And the choices that companies make today will have consequences on gender equality for decades to come. The pandemic has really intensified the challenges that women already faced between balancing childcare, school, household labor, and a full-time job. And now companies risk losing women in leadership and future women leaders and literally unwinding years of painstaking progress towards gender diversity and gender equality. So what needs to change in the workplace to create an equitable work environment for women? As leaders, what can we personally do to cut down the time it will take for women to receive equity in the workplace? We'll explore these questions and more with our guest today, Denise Cooper. Denise is the founder and CEO of Remarkable Leadership Lessons. Denise is a best-selling author, an executive coach, and a keynote speaker. And you know, women have been in the workforce since World War II. And yet the latest report from the World Economic Forum indicates that it's going to take another 200 years before women realize true equity in the workplace. So why isn't gender equity progressing faster? Denise will answer that question and discuss what it takes to make quicker progress towards gender equity and what actions you can take today to help speed up progress towards gender diversity and gender equity. I can't wait. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Denise. Denise Cooper is the founder and CEO of Remarkable Leadership Lessons, and that's a company founded over 10 years ago to assist C-suite, senior-level business leaders, and managers in raising their game as contributors to profitability. Denise serves as an executive coach and a keynote speaker with a proven process for grooming diverse candidates for succession through one-on-one customized coaching, professional assessments, and time-proven case studies. She shares her experience in her incredible book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results One Conversation at a Time. It's really designed to help you see the power and potential within you and help you show up, step up, and speak up to get the results you really want. So welcome, Denise. Good morning, Linda, and good morning to all the folks who are listening in on. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And thank you for taking the time to, st- to just kind of listen to a conversation. 
Yeah. And I think it's going to be an absolutely amazing conversation, Denise. So thank you so much for leading us through this. Now, tell us a little bit about your journey, Denise. What's led you to have such passion around gender diversity, gender equity, diversity, and inclusion? Well, uh, two things. One is, if, if since this is a podcast, people don't know that I happen to be a Black woman. I've been in the workforce all my life, like all women have been in the workforce, some form or some fashion, all of their life. And until recently, and recently was about, you know, 20 years ago, I really was the only. So I was the only, I was different, you know, and so I just didn't get to see. I was born and raised in Chicago. I went to South Dakota. I was the only, not the only Black. Somehow, I found my way in working in corporations to help them figure out how to um, get better results with people. It's those kind of pesky people problems that we all talk about behind the water cooler, but we don't really want to talk about in front or in business meetings. And so they stuck me in HR. And so I've been there trying to figure out how do we make the business um, do better because we are better to our people. And I was very fortunate working for some of the best companies in the world and with the really with the best leaders, maybe not always the best companies, but really the best leaders. And they were the ones that taught me that if you can treat everyone, help people understand what it takes to be successful, then the company wins. Then I went to a company where that wasn't a philosophy and I failed. So I got passionate really about, you know, when I worked for Monsanto in particular, they let me go on, me and 34 other people, a year long worldwide sabbatical to find the best and the brightest and what HR, what people management would be in the year 2010. Imagine a whole year, anywhere we needed to go. I went to Japan and Ireland. We talked to professors, we talked to businesses, we talked to all kinds of people to put together what it would take to make a world-class people-focused company that delivered world-class results. Wow. That set me off on a, well, we were doing pretty good. Why, why is it so hard everywhere else? And so I left there and I, I figured out by finally hitting a company that wasn't interested in people, that was more interested in profits, that didn't care about diversity, didn't care about HR, saw HR only as a compliance and risk management function. Oh, they said, oh, it, you know, our people are the most re important resources. But really, when you look at the behaviors of the senior executives and the management team, people were simple capital to be moved around and used to help balance the balance sheet when we were a little off in our numbers kind of thing. And that really um, set me off on this. We are not going to get this right if we don't change something. That's right. Denise, what an incredible array of experiences on both ends of the spectrum, right? Yes. Um, and so, as we noted at the top of the podcast, the latest reports from the World Economic Forum suggest that it's going to take over 200 years before women realize equity in the workplace, which for me is incredibly um, disappointing. So what needs to change in the workplace to create an equitable work environment for women? Well, 
here's here's the thing. I think we have heightened this equity question and diversity question to the point where we can't have honest discussions around it. So part of what I try to do in the book is to really have people understand that discussions like these, these intense emotional discussions are really one-on-one. And in the absence of you living up your living through your values, then you will slide off into whatever's expedient because we don't like pain. We don't want to be embarrassed. We want to show up. That's perfect. And so I think part of what we need to do is bring skills to the table that will help us talk about these discussions. But even in that, my biggest issue is, is that we don't see this as a business problem. We don't, we don't couch the problem as a business problem. And I'll give you an example. There isn't a CEO that I know. And Linda, if you know one, you let me know, because I really need to talk to them about this, okay? <laughs> that if you told, if they figured out that they were having a supply problem, supply chain problem, they couldn't find the right raw materials, they couldn't get on-time delivery, there was something not quite right about the way one product, one, one ingredient mixed with the others, you're not going to tell me that at the next staff meeting, that that person wouldn't be pounding the desk saying, you better fix this today. So you can't tell me this can't be done. So there has to be something else that's going on. And I think that something else is that we don't know how to have good quality conversations that lead to accountability in the workplace. Yeah, that's so insightful. I, um, I find that really thought provoking and it makes me reflect on what, what kind of quality conversations I personally have had around creating an equitable work environment for women. And Denise, you noted that some of the reasons that gender equity isn't progressing faster may be a bit surprising. So other than this idea of not having real, authentic, genuine, transparent conversations, I have to ask you, why isn't gender equity progressing faster? Structure. This is a system. This is a process. Unfortunately or fortunately, HR owns the process. And what I find interesting is, is that when you look at the numbers of who sits in HR seats, 76 to 80%, depending on whose study you use, say it's all women. So think about that. Do we as women have the skills and the wherewithal to have authentic conversations that change people's minds? Do we have the skills necessary to create a different system because HR has not fundamentally changed in over a hundred years. Do we understand how to change a system so that we get better results? It's, it, you know, you asked me about why did I get so passionate about this? I got passionate about it because the people who really own this process is HR. Now, oh yeah, we, you know, the managers won't, the executives not on board, the, you know, But isn't that the same business problem as I can't get raw materials, we can't balance the budget, everyone comes up against someone who is going to say my idea is better. And until we come up with a structure, a thinking, a reason thinking that allows us to explore these conversations as heads of HR who set the process in place, who hold the influential conversations that are designed to change people's minds. And in fact, 
put a system in place because I'll, the other side of this is, is if you ask, you know, most, most CEOs and managers, what does HR do? They'll go, oh, well, they uh, hire, they, uh, so they don't really know what you do anyway, okay? <laughs> so you can slide changes to the process in that would deliver the kinds of results we need. And for the most part, they, what are they going to say? They're going to do what the process says. They expect you to be the experts in this. They expect us, women, who are heading up HR departments, who are the preponderance of HR departments, to come to the table with ideas on how we're going to change this. We should not, we have to get off this permission asking train that we may have been on. Some people have been on, so others aren't. And I'm not, I don't want this to be a global conversation that we're all broke, nothing's working, et cetera, because that's not true. There have been a lot of women who have been trying to do it, but my, my issue really comes down to the surprising thing is, is that when we've done the protests, when we've done the awareness creation, we have to have a system in place that is going to change, that people can adopt to, and the outcomes are going to be the kinds of outcomes that we want. So what I'm hearing in some of that advice, which I think is just, again, so thought-provoking, is that not only do we need systems in place that challenge the status quo and that integrate diversity, equity, um, and this whole idea about gender diversity into the workplace, but we also need bold leaders, innovators, disruptors. And so as leaders, what can we personally do to cut down the time it'll take for women to receive equity in the workplace beyond the idea of being an innovator, a disruptor, a bold leader? What action should we be taking? One of the things is, is that you have to have a pipeline. If your pipeline of candidates is Indeed, and I'm, there's nothing wrong with Indeed, and all you're getting is white males out of it, or if you know, we still say 78% of all hires are word of mouth, then you gotta you gotta test who's in your network. And so why can't you reach out to diverse groups and let them know and show up to them and include in your network people who are not necessarily like you? And if you're uncomfortable with that conversation, if you're uncomfortable showing up to those meetings, then you gotta step back and check yourself because you're never gonna convince somebody else what to do if you can't do it yourself. So show up to those meetings, make friends, LinkedIn, connect with people. Last night I had a, a connection call with somebody for 30 minutes. I just love this background. He's in Washington. Come to find out he lived here in Charlotte before I got to Charlotte. We had a great conversation and now we're exchanging all kinds of information back and forth. Now, when he comes out of being in, in university land, um, because he uh, reports to the provost at the college up in Seattle, I'm going to have him on my radar of somebody who might be a good candidate to work in my company. It's th that's one way to do that. And so most of the time when we're talking about it, it starts with the pipeline. Then from the pipeline, how do we bring people to be inclusive? Well, to feel like they belong, to feel like they're welcomed and that their ideas are really good. Well, if you feel uncomfortable going to a meeting that is diverse, then you now know what it feels like to be invited, but not feel like you belong. Wow. 
And if you don't feel like you belong there, then how are you going to make someone feel welcome in your home? And workplace is home for a lot of people, at least eight to 10 hours a day, even if it's on Zoom calls. And so we have to manage those feelings of being uncomfortable and having good conversations with people who are just generally not like us. And until we can have those conversations, it's going to be very difficult to bring those conversations into the workplace. It is a concerted effort. Perfection is not being comfortable in uncomfortable spaces where you're not comfortable because the people around you are the same as you. They think the same as you. They do the same. They were brought up the same way. Then you're naturally going to be uncomfortable. So perfection is actually feeling uncomfortable. That's right. So if you're feeling comfortable in the place, then you're not achieving the goal. Another thing that they can do is you literally can look at your turnover and divided by gender, race, class, um, ethnicity, religion, however you want to spect that and see where are you losing and who is losing. There isn't an HR person who really doesn't know who the bad manager is and where the turnover really is at. Why aren't you, what kinds of conversations need to happen in that scenario? And it's not always a confrontational conversation. Be curious. What's going on? How are you thinking about hiring? Maybe that person doesn't know how to select people that, that are good culture build for their team. So maybe we should be mentoring them on what does it take to build a culture, a culture of performance rather than fix our culture. Because the culture you have is the culture you have. Unless you're a startup, you've got a culture. You're not going to just suddenly go to a different culture, go to this. It's a process to get people to buy in and change. That's right. And I really appreciate this idea of, you know, when you feel uncomfortable, that's actually perfection. That's when you know that you're being challenged to be more empathetic, to be more inclusive, to look around at, at the diversity of the team that surrounds you and say, what is it about this that makes me feel a little bit um, off center, a little bit uncomfortable? And what can I learn from that? How can I integrate that learning into my behavior moving forward? I think that's just a, a really eye-opening way of framing this idea of being uncomfortable, that it's actually a good thing, that it's actually a learning opportunity. And I think that's brilliant. Oh, I wanted to share one small story Please. of what, how that shows up in my life. So recently I was, I was interviewing someone who's what's going to be on my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. And the way she was, she was a genuine individual, but the way she was talking was making me agitated and irritable in the conversation. I was really uncomfortable. And so we got through the podcast. I listened to it. I couldn't figure it out. And what I figured out was, is that she was touching my personal bias and causing me to have to relook at my own bias about a white woman who is offering assistance to and being an ally and her language wasn't quite right her language wasn't perfect but because her language wasn't perfect i was getting blocked by seeing her heart and i had to step back and check myself 
to make sure that I could create a place where she was welcomed on my podcast. Wow. It happens to all of us. This idea of perfection is, is knowing when you're really uncomfortable and then stepping back and asking, what, what's that about? That's right. And I will say that it, this is a journey and this is a process. And I guarantee that all of us, me included, have said something very inadvertently, very yes. innocently that someone else took offense to, or they misinterpreted, or they misunderstood. And it then creates this block in the relationship. The relationship doesn't move forward because of um, word choice or the way that you show up, the way that you speak, the way that you carry yourself, the way that you interact. And it triggers something that feels uncomfortable and then the relationship stalls and stops. Yeah. And so uh, I so appreciate that story because it shows how even when someone offended you or uh, used language that you felt like was really um, inappropriate, you were able to step back and say, but what is her heart? What is she trying to say? Even though she's using word choices or phrases or terminology that I personally would never embrace, what is her heart? I think that's such a great lesson for all of us. So I'm going to sort of switch topics for just a second, although I feel like I should dive into this even more deeply over the next hour or two with you just to learn. You are such a wealth of uh, insight, and I so appreciate your time with us today, Denise. But let me switch gears a little bit and ask you, through your incredibly successful career and through all of your learning and development and growth, both personally and professionally, I'm sure you've had incredibly impactful mentors that have given you leadership advice that you've taken to heart and really integrated into your leadership style and to your leadership persona. So I have to ask you, what's the best leadership advice that you've ever received that you'd like to pass along to our listeners? Um, it's really easy. Um, if you read my book, it's full of the quote-unquote Denise-isms um, that talk about it. And I'll, I'll give you a couple. One is you can have reasons or you can have results, but you can't have both. And so you, we really have to check ourselves. Do we have a lot of reasons why we can't do it? Or do we have the results and we're building upon those results? The second one is it's not about being 100% better. It's about being 1% better. And if every day we can wake up and, and have a commitment to be just 1% better, just imagine at the end of the year, we're 300% better than we were at the beginning of the year. And so it's really about small steps consistently done over time achieves amazing results. There are no big leaps. There are no, this idea that suddenly I woke up and you know had the brain bust that came up with the great idea. It's just a myth and a fallacy. The truth is that you are constantly working and growing and, uh, and being curious and asking questions so that you can hone and refine what it is that you want. And for your audience, just think of it, put yourself in the situation. Remember back when you were trying to figure out what your brand was and it took a while to practice it and to listen and to get feedback on it. And every time you said it, you got a little bit better. You finally figured out what your brand statement was going to be for your business. 
That's what, that is what this process is. And we have to say that 250 some odd years is not okay. How can we get on the train of we're going to be better in five years and in five years, we're going to have blank and then move forward. Small steps consistently done over time. That's how we achieve amazing results. And that's going to be how we make it not okay that there is not equity in the workplace. There's not inclusion in the workplace. Yeah, that's so insightful. And it makes it more manageable to begin thinking about just 1% better every day. That's mm-hmm. something that I think most people would say, okay, I can sign up for that because that feels achievable to me. That mm-hmm. seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. So Denise, what wise wisdom, what wonderful leadership advice. And thank you again so much for sharing your experience, your expertise, your insight. And I will tell you, this has got to have been one of the most thought-provoking conversations I've had in a long time. And I am really grateful that you inspired me and influenced me to think a little differently today. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining Leadership Global, a podcast for and about unstoppable women stepping into courage, claiming their power, and embracing bold leadership. Join us each week as we talk to a collection of inspirational women changing the world and tackling the most pressing issues we're facing today as women and as leaders. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.